Godfrey, what is the 25th anniversary again? What's the uh, the? You know, oh, you mean like paper or gold or silver, or or plastic or aluminum or? I think it's silver. Silver. Okay. Well, How would I, I know just... this? Let's find out. Uh, uh, silver anniversary. Silver anniversary. We're already. It, it, we're 30 seconds in. We're googling things. I was right. It's the silver <laughs> anniversary. Man, you are ready. I think I knew that because I used to collect comic books. As a child, <laughs> not because I've been married for 25 years. Well, uh, can, well, happy 25th to you. Happy 25th show, buddy. Um, we're still that, that means doing them weekly. Let's see. Quick math suggests we've been doing this for about six months now, which is hilarious. That's so weird. And nobody's telling us to stop. So no. I so think we're we just, we, I think we, we're doing we pretty well. Yeah, and I mean, we, we'll we see. This is a test because we should have probably gotten a guest for this show, but we just kind of decided not to because we we had plenty to BS about on our own. So, yeah, no. Um, we will have – we're not going to do guests every week in the off season. Did, I don't know if we even said that, but we will have them when we can get them, and we will have them when they apply to the to what we're doing. So, uh, Or if we can just get someone cool. But we have something better than <laughs> guests, Bill. We, we have some your, arguing. We have your math. That's right. We have some arguing to do. We we have to talk about math on on podcasts. Um, yeah, I figured one of the topics of the day. This was this is officially the start of the 2016 season. By the way, we made it. Um, my I put out my preliminary projections yesterday. Uh, my S and P plus projections. I've already gotten yelled at by an Iowa fan, so it's officially uh, there are official pro, uh, projections. And uh, started the preview series yesterday, the 2016 preview series, North Texas Mean Green. Read all you could possibly need to know about North Texas. And probably by the time this goes live, you can read everything you would possibly want to know about UTEP as well. So just get excited, man. This is. Well, if an Iowa fan's mad at you, Bill, just run to the left or run to the right or run right through them. I was at the Rose Bowl. Any of those things will work. Yeah. Yeah. No. It now uh, there is you know there are complaints about SEC bias on the list, which of course. But number one, the SEC was the best conference in the country last year, pretty easily. And I I I, I hate to say it, I feel bad, I feel guilty, uh, pointing out the very blatant obvious, but it's true. And since there are recruiting rankings evolved in these uh, projections a little bit, not a ton, but there is it, they carry a little bit of weight. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's going to favor the SEC because. The SEC tends to assign most of the good classes, but here's the deal. The reason recruiting rankings are used is because they're predictive. So if the SEC is predicted to do well, projected to do well because of recruiting, that probably means they're going to do well. Last year was kind of odd in that a lot of teams had new quarterbacks. A lot of teams had terrible offenses. Teams like Missouri and South Carolina um, completely fell apart, at least on one side of the ball. Um, but the conference was still easily the best conference overall in the country. And I, I don't, <laughs> I mean, if you really want to complain about the SEC being overrated, fine, but y- you really, it's the best conference and I can pretty much justify, let's see, we've got Alabama one, LSU two, uh, Ole Miss seven makes me a little nervous, but that offense really is going to be awesome. Uh, really should be a good offense. Tennessee's nine. You know what? I can justify that. Uh, and then you've got like Georgia at 15. That's, I mean, Georgia's going to be anywhere between five and 35. Um, and, and they are a complete wild card, but 15 feels pretty comfortable to me. Uh, 17 feels, uh, makes me a little nervous regarding Arkansas just because of what they have to replace on offense, but their defense should be better. Uh, Mississippi State at 21, you know, all depends on the quarterback. That's interesting. 20, 24 Auburn, all depends on the quarterback. 25 at A&M, all depends on the quarterback. Um, but... I, I mean, it's 
<laughs> I use I, there's I, I use recruiting rankings for a reason, and when you use recruiting rankings, it's going to look pretty uh, pretty kindly upon the SEC. And I'm okay with that because the SEC is the best conference. By the way, that's the drop off, isn't it? There's I don't see another SEC team until you get to South Carolina at 63. Oh. Is that right? Well, there you go. So really, stop complaining. Oh no, Missouri's at 47. Oh, sorry. But, but yes, yeah, stop complaining because only what is that? Seven teams are in the top 45. That's not even that bad. Just pay no attention to the fact that they're all in the top 25. Um, yeah, what you said about Georgia, I would definitely support from a non-numerical reporter guy standpoint. Um, a lot of these teams that you have mixed in here, I, I know you would not be surprised to see them in a, in a different order once you get past the comfort level, Bama, LSU. Obviously, the comfort level ends right around Tennessee, really. It's the teams that are in the top 10. None of those surprise me. Um, but we, if you flip Georgia at 15 and A&M at 25 – wouldn't wouldn't shock me. Mississippi State at twenty one feels a little high, given what they're replacing. Arkansas becomes a very mercurial team, um, <laughs> and then Georgia is a giant, huge question mark. Uh, so I will I, say too, by the there's way, there's nothing to scream about really, unless you oh. hate the conference. Unless you hate the conference, when you get inside of the SEC, I don't see a. a, a well, that, I mean, that's I, what I don't see anything of... that, that it. I mean, if if you're a Georgia fan and, and you're seeing fifteen. That's you're happy about that. Yeah, my friend, my friend Senator Blutarski at his at his blog, um, I noticed he posted this yesterday, and he basically said, "Yeah, I mean that's as good a place to start as any. Who knows?" Yeah, and that's the thing. Numbers have to put, you know put a number by each team. Like there's no uh, a lot of these teams are total toss ups, and and you know that's that's this is where numbers come in handy because we don't know what the hell to do with Georgia, but just looking at their overall profile, who they're returning, how they've recruited, how they've performed recently. Uh, you know, these numbers say 15th, but um, I will also point out, I, I put the, or the projected uh, ratings there. I put the actual projected ratings, not just a ranking. So you can see that like Alabama is at 26.8. That means basically 26.8 points better than average uh, overall, uh, which is a hell of a lot uh, of points above average at this point. But uh, you see that, you know, there are only two teams within four and a half points of number one, Alabama. But then you go to uh, number four, Oklahoma is at 22. Actually, no, number five, Florida State is at is at 19.6. Two and or four and a half points from Florida is um, about number 16. So there's a uh, there's a cluster there uh, mm-hmm. from about five to 15, and then there's really kind of another cluster if you look at between number eight, USC is 17.3. Uh, mm-hmm. Number 25 A&M is tw- 12.5. So basically between 8 and 25 is the same distance between number, what, 1 and 4. So that's the numbers also saying, hell if I know. You know, if, the, if a team is one or two points better uh, fr- from that little cluster, they're, they're suddenly a top 10 team. If they're one or two points worse, they're out of the top 25. So lots of bunching there. And um, I, I try to pay attention to that as much as I pay attention to the actual ranking. This would also be the first time we need to discuss Washington in any kind of uh, serious, yes. serious way. This is, this is starting. So this is the beginning of the cycle here that we think Washington is that team. Um, also, outside of the SEC real quick, nothing, nothing jumps out at me in the top 10 that to, to be angry about. USC, perennial top 10 preseason no matter what, be it math, <laughs> be it psychology, weather, whatever. I just, I've come to learn to live with it. Um, I would not argue any placement here on Clemson, Oklahoma, Florida State, Michigan, Ole Miss, uh, Washington, though. It's, yeah. 
those of us who are in the insane, uh, insane early projections business, be it for for journalism, me stuff like me or numbers like you, uh, it doesn't jump out to us so much because we've been talking about him for real quietly, basically since the regular season ended. But uh, that's going to be the name that, that people are going to be most jarred by in, the, in this top twenty. Um, yeah, and I really like. How um, do we introduce people to to this Washington team? Well, and really, I um, I'll introduce. This isn't the best introduction, but I introduced to, uh, people to them by linking to last year's Arkansas preview because in that preview, I kind of walked through a lot of the teams that there's always one team that finishes seven and six and finishes like you know thirteenth or something ahead of a lot of like ten and three teams. Um, you know, the the best example, the most <laughs> the most me friendly example is 2011 when Notre Dame and and Texas A and M were both I think in the top 15 despite you know being like eight and five and seven and six. And I got I caught massive hell for that. And then the next year Notre Dame made the national title game and A and M beat Alabama and finished what third or fourth in the polls. Like that's what the numbers see out of a team when they rank them that high despite an iffy record is that over the court if they played an 82 game season. Um, they showed the upside necessary uh, to 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 play very well over the course of a really long season, but in 12 games or 13 or 14 games, you just barely get a sample. Um, but you see, like it, it, from this link, and obviously we'll have this link uh, on the podcast page here. I, I you know I give the rankings for all three of my, for lack of a better term, factors. Um, I'm not Phil Steele. I don't have whatever eight power rankings or whatever he has. Uh, brags about but I got three and <laughs> one of them is based on recruiting one of them is based on recent history a kind of a weighted five-year average and uh, although at this point they're pretty much evenly weighted uh, and then one is based on returning production which I wrote about last week where I've st- instead of using returning starters I, I've begun to kind of mash numbers together and come up with like a percentage of offense returning based on uh, like passing yards returning and receiving and rushing and, and a little bit offensive line. Can I, um, let me stop you right there. Why, why, why deviate from returning starters? Because that's, that's a, um, that, that's a crutch for a lot of us. When we, when we try and talk about teams in the early off season, we really, I think that's kind of the first thing that we sports writers look at is just how many guys are back on both sides. It's a crutch because it's the only thing that exists. It's it's so hard. Like you have to dive in and look at last year's depth chart and look at the roster and all this stuff to come up with a better number. Because, um, but but we all know intuitively, you know, more than one, more than the starting running back carries the ball. More than two or three receivers catch the ball. More than five linemen play in a lot of cases anyway. And so boiling it down to. Uh, eight returning or six returning or four there's uh, we're missing a ton of context and so my my goal with a percentage number percentage returning number number one was to to get a little further than eight you know be able to actually look at I mean if you return you're starting running back but like three other guys had 60 70 carries they're all gone and you're going to be having a bunch of freshman backups that's not the same as returning like your top four running backs Um, and so I just wanted to kind of move that a little further and it's still not what about returning touches and returning receptions um would that be, was if, I, if i'm a lazy reporter and i decide to to do this would it be better than just saying eight returning starters on offense or saying percentage of rushes from 2015 returning percentage of receptions yeah. basically what i looked at was percentage I, I i used every percentage that i had based on the preview data that i compiled last year so i mean i looked at passes completions and yards i looked at rushes and rushing yards, you know, targets, catches and receiving yards, et cetera. And for the most part, yards were the 
best. They, uh, they're all basically the same because, you know, if you have the most targets, you probably have the most catches. If you have the most catches, you probably have the most yards. But all of those things are, are basically going to get you to the same place. I just used yards because it seemed like it, it made, you know, these correlations a, a, a hair stronger. But any of them, that, that will get to the point I'm trying to make, basically. Okay. Like, Florida State fans were already arguing with me. Uh, I'm telling you, it's already to the, the midseason. Um, they were they were yelling at me because they have already they, we return all eleven starters on offense. Well, sort of. You you return a half starter at quarterback because Sean McGuire only started half the year. He Ever Golson threw more passes. So I mean, yes, he started at the end of the year, um, but that's not you know. And you can claim eleven starters if you want, but you and I both know you only return about half your passing yards from last year. Um, so. So the goal there, I mean, it's still it's still imperfect. Among other things, for some reason, my attempt at at offensive line starts, uh, like returning career starts up front, no correlation at all to any sort of projection. Um, I'm I'm working on ways to do that better, and I think Bud in our Slack room had a pretty good point about you know that using career starts means if one guy started 40 or 50 games and then the other four guys from last year were on their first year, you return four starters up front, but you only get like half of your starts back because that one guy left. And so that's a little misleading. So I'm going to, I'm still tinkering with that, but what I'm learning by doing this is, I mean, even if I figure out a really good number from that, it's pretty clear that offensive line isn't going to carry that much weight and, and maybe coaching and talent matter more than pure experience on, uh, on the offensive line, but receiving, uh, in the receiving core and the defensive backfield experience is massive. If you were to, if you lose a lot of receivers or a lot of defensive backs, you just, you probably aren't going to be as good next year. So it's been it's been kind of an enlightening experience. Like quarter, uh, what is it? Quarterback, receiver, and defensive back. Massive weight when it comes to uh, needing experience. Offensive line, running back, defensive line, and the, and linebacker. Not as much. Pretty cool stuff. This is all very interesting. What I'm sitting here trying to do is think: How is this going to be crammed down, condensed, and and kind of turned into two or three sentences for those of us trying to convey a point? This uh, is, well, that, that's, that's that wonderful bridge moment of like. We can tell you all this, but then how do I get it across to well, really, someone's you know super fast? That's I mean that's the the goal of the overall number, basically saying that you know they return eighty percent of their offense. Yeah. Now I mean you can obviously you can dive into a five minute spiel after that, but yeah. that that sentence right there, you know, as long as it's as long as my numbers are good and they're reasonably accurate, that will tell you a lot more than they return six or eight starters. But, and other than Florida State fans, you found trust in that number. People are not arguing with you on that. Um, I, I mean, I try to lay out all the limitations right up front, and I think that helps. I mean, a lot of people will just skip right to the numbers anyway and not care. And uh, any time I post anything with a number involved, people think I'm making a grand proclamation uh, that this is the truth. Nothing else is the truth. But uh, Well, there's I mean, something weird about rankings, and you know this. It, when I open this page – when you when you said it out the other day, the first thing I noticed because I've I've made a meme of it is this USC thing at eight, right? But when just now when you when you start talking about the actual projected S and P, you don't don't look at the rankings one through twenty. Look at them almost as clusters, right? So Alabama, right. LSU, Clemson, and and Oklahoma, you know, occupying one cluster, and then there's this drop off. Then there's a group. Then there's a drop off. Then when you start looking at your your margins, it, it becomes acceptable. Well, you know, USC's what are they seven? You've got them at seventeen point three in your projected S and P, which basically right. puts them just just a hair above Tennessee. 
just a hair above Washington. And, and a few hairs above Georgia, Stanford, on down the line. Right. So if, <clears throat> conversely, it, it ends up that USC is at the bottom of this group, well, that, that – it, it makes their it makes it all more palatable, I think. So and, it's just and what I tried to presentation do. matters so much if you're just if you're like me and you're ignorant, you look at it real fast. Well, and and back to what I was originally saying, like I, what I tried to do to show you how these rankings came about was sharing the each individual rating. So the recruiting rating, the the returning production rating, which is basically taking these eighty percent returning or whatever and applying it to last year's ratings. So you know LSU. LSU returns more than anybody in the country. They were like, what, ninth, I think, last year in my ratings. You add the projected improvement to their ninth place rating, and suddenly they're, what, third, according to those. But where you, where I, so I used those two and the weighted five-year average, and you can see then how the ratings came about. Like USC, they're 14th in five-year average. They're 14th in this returning production number. Uh, they're second in recruiting. That's how they get, they, that's how they get a bump. Um, and to be fair to USC, they are full strength now. You know, the same same with Penn State. Like we can talk about recruiting averages, but they were still dealing with a smaller number of, of scholarship players. That's going to hold you back. Maybe now it won't. Still not at all, even slightly sold on the Clay Helton hire, but we'll see. If he if he's good, they really. I mean, obviously they they don't need much to ever be a top five or ten team. But then at the same time, you see Washington. They're thirtieth in recruiting, 39th in five year. How the hell are they tenth? because they're sixth in that returning production number because they were much better than they should have been last year and they returned basically everybody. And so that specific number thinks they're almost a top five team. Uh, those other two numbers uh, add context and drag them down a little bit. So, uh, but that's, I, I shared all three of those numbers for that reason. And, and that production number is the strongest of the bunch. That carries the most weight. Five year carries a little bit of weight. Recruiting carries a little bit more. Um, and that's how you come up with, uh, the projections. Anything of, before we jump into the next thing, any anything on projections that you thought was low? There's no one on here I could really rattle a saber about. Um, um, TCU is an interesting one at 31. That, I can, yeah, I mean, that was the first one. As I can I very specifically that, yeah. uh, like they they have to replace a ton on offense, and you see by that number, their returning production based on that projection, they're 49th. So uh, that that kind of drops a hint regarding how much they have to replace from last year: quarterback, receivers, et cetera. Like there's, they've got a lot to to kind of prove regarding the next class of of TCU guys. Boykin's gone. The guys that we knew are gone, and now it's that next round of recruits. Um, <clears throat> I've been yelled at because I was 38th. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. I, <laughs> I I mean I don't know what to tell you. I'm I. They were they finished like what like thirty second or so last year, and I got yelled at for that. But I mean, they played two good teams. They played a pretty good Michigan State team, and yes, Michigan State was was good. They weren't great, they weren't elite, but they were good. I almost beat that team, which is good. They got the crap kicked out of them by Stanford, which is bad, and they very nearly lost to a bunch of teams ranked between about thirtieth and sixtieth, which suggests they are also between thirtieth and sixtieth. So I'm, I mean. 38th feels a little bit low uh, just because they are still getting dragged down by like recruiting, which, <laughs> which is what it is for Iowa in, in previous years. But I, I mean, any, any top 10 preseason ranking from a poll perspective, any, any top 10 ranking that's given to Iowa is just, is courtesy. They, they were not a top 10 team last year. So with Iowa and then maybe throw in North Carolina coming in at 27 and Houston at 53, 
Oh, um, Houston's the other one. Yeah, go ahead. And let's see, where did Utah end up? Uh, 39. You're not too friendly to the upstarts of last last year. Yeah, I mean, I got yelled at by Utah fans last year, but then they the second half of the season, they kind of settled into proving they were kind of a number 20 to 40 team, not a not a top 10 team or anything like that. So, I mean, I think I, I stopped getting yelled at by Utah fans halfway through the year. Uh, so they are what they are. And I, I actually initially had them higher, but I hadn't noticed that Britton Covey, the, the breakout freshman receiver, I guess, is going on mission, or at least that's the plan right now. Uh, so they're going to lose basically their entire offense from last year. So, I mean, 39th is almost kind of friendly. It's a, it's a, it's a sign that they're, they're, you know, the numbers respect their defense quite a bit. But, yeah, Houston's the, the, the interesting one. We've talked about Houston a ton on this, obviously. And, um, you know, my numbers didn't really like them last year in part. Now, they, they were kind of artificially dragged down. When, when Ward got hurt, uh, or even before Ward got hurt, they were starting to spade a little bit. But they were incredibly mediocre in November. Like, the, you know, as, we, as we've talked about, they should have lost to Cincinnati. They should have lost to Memphis. They did lose to UConn. And, I mean, UConn made a bowl, but they still weren't very good. Um, and so those three results really dragged Houston's ratings down a little bit. And then, you know, then they finish with Navy Temple, Florida State, and they go back up. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you could say they're artificially low because part of the reason they're only um, 53rd is because Ward got hurt and they weren't as good last year. Um, but that's also a reminder that, um, you know, after Ward, they weren't very good at quarterback. Postma had a couple nice series or a nice series in the FSU game, but he was very, very poor against UConn. So North Carolina 25th in returning production. That's telling me that uh, I should not go all in and, and try and hype them up in the offseason with a big feature. So when I take my list of schools into our college football <laughs> summit, that your rankings are making me feel like North Carolina was a little bit of an aberration last year. Well, there's still an interesting story. The thing about North Carolina was that I, I really I was struggling with Gene Chizik making the the, the Burles Award finalist list, um, and that that might be unfair. North Carolina in 2014, North Carolina's defense was wretched, was absolutely terrible. Um, in 2015, it was very, very, very mediocre, and so it depends on how you look at it. He, you know, Chizik was not the uh, the leader of a great defense, but he, he certainly improved them a lot. They had a kind of a bend don't break thing that was working for them. They were very reliant on turnovers. Um, we saw in the Baylor game that if they, if the opponent doesn't turn the ball over, they're going to struggle to stop anybody, especially on the ground, I guess. But um, yeah. So, I mean, their defense was still holding them back pretty considerably last year. It's just, they had the, the firepower on offense to overcome it. I mean, there's still a really interesting story though. The fact that they, you know, this is the underachiever team, and it, you know, even you know, if, if you believe that their ratings were should have been as low as they were in my numbers, that almost makes them more interesting because they actually that means they actually overachieved last year, and that's not supposed to happen in North Carolina. So, um, so it's still pretty interesting, I think. I have a note every time we talk about the national landscape. Check on Wisconsin, which yeah. just it's just basically because they Wisconsin's invisibility cloak is. It's amazing. Well, uh, Wisconsin thirty seventh. Uh, nothing really remarkable here. It looks like they lose a lot in production. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, steady the rest of the way. Waited fifteen or waited five years at fifteenth. Pretty strong yeah, for a team at thirty seventh. They've been yeah. That tells you how much production they're losing from last year, I guess. And and that's also a little unfair. Corey Clement was hurt. He'll be back. You know that helps their rushing numbers at least. But obviously they've got epic question marks at quarterback among other things and. Yeah, but they'll probably overachieve. They, you know, it's it's rare that they don't. It seems. Uh, 
I would almost certainly pencil them in to lose to LSU at Lambeau and then quietly put together a nine or ten win season. The the reliability of which is 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 better than most. Well, right. Most I mean, anything else in of, life. Look at the rest of the Big Ten West. I mean, you've got let's see, you've got Nebraska leading the way at twenty six, but you've got Nebraska twenty six, Wisconsin thirty seven, Iowa thirty eight, Minnesota forty two, Northwestern forty six. They're gonna. I mean, they're right there. Uh, the winner of that division is going to end up with probably nine, ten wins, and and it could very well be Wisconsin. Who's this year's Iowa? That's right. Yeah. Um, b- by the way, you mentioned the other team we should talk about, LSU. Um, it's funny the result um, that, that uh, especially on social media when these rankings went up, when I when I showed that they returned more production than anybody in the country, um, the less Miles supporters or the neutrals who think it was crazy that Miles almost got favored. Uh, favorite fired um the they can't they kind of use that as proof that hey look they almost fired that guy and look how good they're going to be next year the 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 miles critics noted very uh you know very with truth that um they return all this talent and look how much it underachieved in november last year and um i mean both sides have a point there they they finished ninth in my ratings which is a nice reminder of how good they were aside from those three weeks but they were so bad in those three weeks that it gets kind of hard to move past that sometimes if you watch those games it's hard to forget that that team existed nothing that happened last week in recruiting is really going to change anybody's opinion about less miles or about the state of lsu i think uh they may be completely unique in that regard because if you're that high up in the recruiting rankings you're celebrating um you know, if you're Alabama, you expect that you know Ole Miss lost some guys in in the last in the last hours of the day, uh, but they still had you know a top five, top ten consensus class. They're celebrating. Any any SEC team that makes it that far up is they feel like they're doing the right thing. And then you get to LSU, it's it's just cold comfort because they've come to expect a certain amount of um, automatic success in recruiting because of the because of the we've talked about it on the show before. You know that. The way they're structured, where they sit, they have the they have arguably the most fertile ground when you consider that they have no one to compete against in their state. It's not like other schools don't try and come in, but the advantage LSU had is so dramatic. So, you know, it, it it's just like Bill's numbers here. Nothing is really going to change anyone's opinion until the football gets played. I think. Uh, I mean, well, what I liked about these numbers is they the recruiting rankings actually dragged them down, like on a per recruit basis, which yeah. is what most of my recruiting ranking is. They're only eighth, but the returning production um, based on last year's averages is what's pulling them up, and I think that's pretty fascinating. That makes me feel a little more comfortable. They're not just getting it's not USC where their highest rating is recruiting, and so we know they're probably not going to you know do that. They're 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 held up by what they returned from last year's team, and that's pretty interesting. I will though. I'll ask you. So, um, can Les Miles develop a quarterback? I, I heard a little bit about that last week. Yeah. So that's yeah. Nowhere in that recruiting class was a was was something or someone that was going to replace um, Brandon Harris. But does Brandon Harris need to be replaced? Because he was a true sophomore last year. They they and want something that's going to be well. I can't say they because that would imply I'm speaking of the whole. And right now there is there is the the whole is fractured to say the least. Um, <laughs> There, uh, there's two major classes on this. Those who are just so completely sick of the inefficiency at quarterback relative to other offenses they see, be it Auburn or Ole Miss or or even just the reliability of what Alabama does, which I think is, is insane to try and model yourself after Alabama. That's how Florida failed. 
But um, they, if if Harris becomes workmanlike and they are able to uh, lengthen their drives, this is just from this is just me talking to people in the media and and, and amateur rank and file fans at LSU. They could learn to love him the way they learned to love Jordan Jefferson. So yeah, that's the thing. He does not need replacing, no, Bill. I, I, but but he does. He's also not the guy. And the situation they're in with the play calling, none of, none of this is going to build any excitement, right? It's all going to be trepidation until they play Wisconsin is what I was trying to say. Right, and, and it's just it, the, the narrative as a whole is amazing to me that um... – I mean, first of all, they almost won a national title with Jared Lee and Jordan Jefferson. They, they, I mean, they were before they, they laid an egg in the national title game, but before that game, they were maybe in terms of my numbers, they might've ended up the most highly rated team of the last 11 years uh, with Jordan Jefferson and Jared Lee at quarterback. They won national titles with Matt Flynn and Matt Mock at quarterback. So first of all, they don't need a star. Uh, <clears throat> that, that much is obvious, but the, the narrative is also funny because I mean, Ryan Perillo was about to be amazing. Like the job he did in mop-up duty the jo- in the in 07 when they won the national title when he you know was the MVP of the 07 oh, parallel. SEC parallel. title game. Parallel. Yeah, oh, sorry. sorry. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's been a, it's been a while. Sorry. Um, parallel. Uh, he had a 176 passer rating that year. Like he was about to be amazing, and he the reason that didn't work out had nothing to do with his talent level. But after that, you know, so they they limped for, th- through a couple of years with. Uh, you know, with Lee and Jefferson, and then they break through with Lee and Jefferson. And then they have uh, Mettenberger, and with, with those two receivers, Beckham and um, – uh, crap. Beckham's catches have, made me, have distracted me from the guy who was actually the leading receiver that year. There's an LSU fan screaming at us right now, which oh, is I'm nothing normal. My, I'm screaming at myself. That's, or nothing uh, Landry, not Landry. Jarvis Landry. Um, so with those two, they had like a top 10 – in terms of the, the S&P Plus ratings, they had a top 10 passing game. Um, they didn't throw that much, so the numbers were only – like the, the raw per game yardage numbers were only good and not amazing. But they had a, an excellent passing game that year. Their defense faded a little bit. That's the reason they weren't quite as good in 2012 and 13. 2014, they have a, a true sophomore quarterback. 2015, they have a true sophomore quarterback. So if they can just get some experience at that position – um, if Harris develops just enough to keep his job, then I think they're fine. I, I think the the uh, quarterback narrative has been kind of silly because they just they've been too young the last two years, and they might not be too young this coming season. And none of that matters until we until they actually prove it. I none realize. of that matter. None of that matters until they see consistency on offense with Harris. That's Harris. Is, Harris gets to be the whipping post for for the problems that they had in play calling, offensive line. You know, the predictability down the stretch, uh, all that stuff. All of that stuff that is completely not on Harris is on Harris. It's also on Miles. That's yeah. and, and that's not too strange, honestly. That's nothing unique to LSU. So, um, again, not really. Just want to emphasize, everyone talks about LSU. I, I saw a lot of the national headlines last week. So, you know, I, this guy was about to – it, it almost was a BuzzFeed headline. Uh, <laughs> this guy was about to get fired, and you won't believe the class he signed. Um, yeah. that's true, but in Baton Rouge and inside that, that culture, they, that doesn't change anybody's opinion. That's the one yeah. thing I would hammer home from that. Um, anything else before we jump into everyone's favorite conference? Is, <laughs> what a terrible, what a terrible tease. Um, no, I, I think, you know, 30 minutes on, on, uh, rankings of teams that won't play for seven months is probably good. 
Well, that's what this podcast is for. <laughs> um, let me scroll through before we leave and find out where Wyoming's at. How bad is it? Oh, God. They were so bad last year. Oh, 110th. Hey, that's okay. Possible improvement. Trying to get the – trying to get it. Trying to get Kansas. sub 100. Ahead uh, of Kansas. Um, by the way, Mark Hudspeth talked about for so many jobs, so many jobs the last five years, and ULL is clocking in at 106. That, that hurts. Yeah, they he's 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 stayed too long. Like that's they were really inexperienced last year, but it's I mean he's not exactly they're not exactly recruiting the lights out or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So no, yeah, he's we'll see. Uh, who was the guy? The old Western Michigan coach? Was it Gary Darnell? Was that the name of the Western Michigan coach who did the same thing? He was linked with like every single job in the late nineties, uh, but he stayed and got fired like three years later and never came close to another head coaching job. Um, yes. I think, I mean, I think when Missouri was hiring in 2000, they were looking at Darnell. He was on the list. Gary um, Darnell hired in 97. Yeah. So. Uh, no, it's um, you, you see that sometimes there's some, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that I, I, Hudspeth is not like Rick Stock still here in my backyard at middle Tennessee had interest from power five programs a couple of years ago, turned it down. His son's part of the program now. And I oh, think they'll right, retire, yeah. you know, it's not that situation for Mark Hudspeth though. He was, he was a guy who was predicted to climb up the ladder. So for whatever reason, um, Bill, what is the conference USA? Uh, pretty if, terrible if conference you, at the moment. If you were to explain conference USA, uh, not to a total neophyte, but if you were if you were to describe it in relation to the other conferences, how how would you describe it? And, and I'm as I'm leading you into making a point for me. Uh, it is a conference that I will say, politely say is playing the long game. Um, when they got plucked apart by what is now the American, they went to they attacked the Sun Belt. Uh, they basically started putting together teams that are in good media markets or, or decent uh, appealing media markets and didn't actually go for good teams. And so now they are a conference that uh, has Old Dominion and Charlotte and Florida International and Florida Atlantic and um, UTEP and Rice just bombed out uh, last year and, and maybe they'll rebound. But at this point, they're, they're a team that is kind of investing in the future with media markets and whatnot, but doesn't actually have very many good football teams at the moment, which is why, by the way, we're talking about them because they're average. They're first. They're, I, they're, they're average S&P plus. That's how I determine the order of these conference previews. They were lower than the Sun Belt, so they get to go first. Uh, they're also the only network right now that's actually the, the, in the immediate future is going to face a, uh, at least according to, to, to one report out of Virginia, the uh, Virginian pilot, um, which would be the uh, coverage map for Old Dominion, one of the new members. They are a conference that's going to uh, see reduced television revenue, which may be something that happens to all of the conferences in the future if the cable television bubble actually does burst in the next five years. Um, it's interesting because they were they were a conference that decided to rebuild around television markets as best they could, uh, but they've learned probably what I think the Big Ten already knew. When you bring in Rutgers and Maryland, that doesn't mean that the DC and New York television markets are glued to their televisions to see Rutgers and Maryland. The difference being, when you put Rutgers and Maryland in your conference, you get visits from Ohio State and Michigan and right. Michigan State and Wisconsin and Penn State and big big fan bases. Um, as you look at a map of Conference USA, what you see are either brand new teams like old, uh, like Charlotte. I'm sorry, Old Dominion had been around, or uh, programs that have moved up like Old Dominion, 
Um, there's not a lot of history here. UAB is a situation unto itself. We'll get to that. Southern Miss was, uh, you know, I used to, I've called them Boise before Boise, um, which kind of tabled off because of revenue and really bad hires. This is a conference bill that I think is was hurt the most by realignment. Uh, um, yeah, I think you could yeah. argue that the Sun Belt made a lot, uh, a lot uh, more wise, wiser. They they, they well, were yeah, a little they more. They were more they, they tactical. Were, right. They, they lost some programs, so they went out and got Appalachian State and Georgia Southern, who are the best, maybe the best two programs in the conference right now, at least two of the top three with Arkansas State. So, yeah, they, they lost half their conference and went out and got better because they picked good teams and not good um, you know, media markets, which, you know, if, if their revenue is going, if Conference USA's revenue is going down anyway, maybe that's a sign. Maybe, maybe you know, if you think about the fact that they didn't add – um, Old Dominion and, and Southern Virginia and whatnot and all these in Charlotte, if they didn't add those things, maybe the revenue would have tanked even further. Um, but yeah, in terms of actual football play, well, let's put it this way. So North Texas projected 128th in my ratings. I'll actually be surprised if they're that bad again. They, they might improve. Um, but they're still projected to win three games because they play so many other bad teams. UTEP's 126, third worst. They're projected to win five games because, let's see, their schedule next year. UTEP's schedule in terms of the projected S&P is hilarious. They play number, they play number 34, Texas. They play number 72 and 84. Otherwise, they play number 117, 124, 113, 116, 111, unranked 100, 119, and 128. So they are projected to be the third worst team in FBS, and they're projected to go five and seven. App, Arkansas State, Georgia Southern, cream of the crop, really the benchmark for what's going on in the Sun Belt. And I know this isn't a Sun Belt preview, but I, I want to transpose on there. And then you also have, you know, programs with history and rivalries, things that you can market. You know, they were able to build a rivalry between Troy and South Alabama. You have a standing one with ULL and ULM. I would take Arkansas State, App, and Georgia Southern over the field if I put them in Conference USA. Well, yeah, and I mean, uh, Conference USA has Western Kentucky. Yep. Um, and it's got whatever Southern Miss is going to become now that it's lost uh, Munkin, which we, 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 we uh, laid a bunch of praise at him and then he left. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there's that. Marshall is, is obviously going to still have some potential. But, yeah, in terms of the projected S&P next year, they've got – 128, 126, 123, 119, 116, 113, and 111. That's over half the conference among the bottom 20. So um, bad. That's bad. It's very bad. Um, it's it's also a conference, like I said, the Sun Belt was able to retrench, was able to, uh, you know, they didn't do everything perfect. They had to take on New Mexico State and Idaho, which is something their athletic directors will, will speak to you about privately if you ever get the chance. They're not particularly <laughs> happy that they have to go out there and play football games. Um, but the core of the Sun Belt was able to to build, to take mm. natural standing rivalries. And they also did a crazy thing, which was they took good football programs that play good football, and they were able yep. to market that to ESPN and not – Here's a, and this is not a knock on Charlotte. This is not a knock on North Texas. North Texas has been around for – they didn't just look at market, and, and, and that's what hurt them because you're just not seeing it yet. When you talk, and, about, and, when you talk about the long play, Bill, we're talking about – a very long play and we're talking about a long play in, in, in a landscape in college football at the bottom of the G five where things are so volatile and, and, and everything changes so quickly. I don't know if this investment will ever pay off. 
And the Sun Belt got, the, got a little lucky, too. Appalachian State and Georgia Southern have both faded a little bit their last year or two in FCS. Um, it, shouldn't, it couldn't have been expected that they would go up a level and immediately go back to where they were about five years ago. But, the, and, but that's what happens, and I think or that's what happened, and they got lucky. And, and now they've got, with Arkansas State, three quality programs there. And, you still, and, and like we were saying, you still got you know, Louisiana Lafayette will forever have potential. Um, and, and they've got some other good programs, but yeah, no, they just, um, uh, they got kind of, you know, they, they asked the right teams and those, those teams went out and got better at the right time. So, uh, let's table Southern Miss for a second. Um, I know you started with North Texas already. That was the first preview out of the gate. Um, a ton of potential there, by the way. Um, <laughs> no, ser- I mean, seriously. That, that, no, no, that, I know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, in my preview, I mentioned that, um, you know, one of my favorite things to talk about with North Texas, I'm actually, I kind of think I may have talked about this before uh, in an SBN piece, but I couldn't find it. So I went ahead and did it again. Um, so when, back in the late 90s, when I was in the dorms, because I'm old, um, th- back then they had, they still had the EA Sports NCAA football game and we'd, we'd play our dynasties. We would start off as Missouri, of course, and move on. Uh, to other to lesser teams, but no matter what, no matter who we were, by about year three, four, five of this dynasty, uh, the AI that was in these games in the late '90s would just kind of assume that North Texas would become a really good program. Like they would be, they would inevitably be in the top 25 within by about year four or five because they're you know just recruiting Dallas. They 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 have this tiny little budget or however it was that you recruit in that game back then, and they would go out and get a ton of three star kids and suddenly have a top 25 program. Uh, one year, I remember they were in like they almost made the national title game, um, and and so I always think of that. That was that was early uh, AI. The AI got better, and as far as I know, that stopped happening. But it's it's still logical. You just kind of assume that a team that a, even a mid major team that close to Dallas is going to figure out how to play good football. And and anytime North Texas does, it almost it, it falls apart soon after. It seems they need North Texas to be the the higher Frank Wilson at UTSA and. What they've got established right now, which is not much, but they've got Braum at Western Kentucky. He, he will go out the door soon, but I, I, I like the system they've built there. And I've said before, terrifying to think that someone hired Bobby Petrino and their program benefited for it in the long <laughs> term. But that is what happened at Western. Yeah. Um, if you can keep that table up north of Marshall, Western, Middle being consistent, what Cusa needs more than anything else, and, and I'll just ask you based but j- just on numbers – of the four schools they have in Texas, so that's UNT, UTSA, Rice, and UTEP, and the two schools in Florida, FIU and FAU, they need one of those six schools to try and replicate a a Houston as much as they can, as much as possible. Because yeah. th- that if it's going to happen, that's probably where it's going to happen, which is the ability to recruit the major Texas cities or South Florida. Which one of those six would numerically do you think is that is that school? And then is that going to happen in the next? Three years, four years. Well, UC, UTSA making the, you know hiring one of the you know most well-regarded recruiters in the country made a hell of a lot of sense. Yes, um, and and obviously when we talk about recruiting at that level, it is kind of tricky because you know no matter who you are, you're not going to go out and sign 
five star guys. So you're just you're aiming to get a few more a few more three stars than your opponents. That's basically what Marshall did. They got some random four star kids who kind of fell through the cracks because of academics or whatever. Um, but for the most part, they've just they've signed more three stars than anybody else, and that's why they've been consistently better than everybody else in in, in uh, Conference USA. So that's kind of the I don't see why that couldn't work at UTSA or, or any of those schools, but especially UTSA and the Florida schools. Um, Rice obviously has its academic uh, limitations. UTEP has geographic limitations. Uh, but, uh, you know, they uh, maybe it's just because North Texas has been around longer and, and has therefore proven to me that it, it, that it might not be able to do it. Maybe I, that's why I kind of lean on those other three schools, because they're newer. But I guess really of those four schools, you would think that one of them could, be, could go out and sign quite a few three-star kids and just get more talent than anybody but maybe the top two or three teams in that conference. It's just really hard to, to paint a positive forecast here. I mean, I'm, I'm pulling up numbers and look at it. It's just, this is not the, you know, Seth Luttrell was a good hire at North Texas. Yeah, I think, I think it was a very good hire. Yeah. It, it, but it, it's a hire that's going to take three to four years. And the CUSA just does not have someone to carry the banner in, in, in that period, in that interim. I guess you would say Marshall? Yeah. Yeah, Marshall and, and Western Kentucky are, I think, the the two programs that are in just the, the overall best shape. Southern Miss has to now prove that they can win a, with a new coach. I really like that they hired the Alcorn State coach. He was yeah, Jay um, Hobson. Uh, Jay Hobson, great coach, uh, has done a tremendous amount of work at Alcorn. Uh, when I was a student reporter in Oxford, he was the DBs coach for one year. Um, actually, he he'd come from a I want to say he was the DC or the DBs coach at Southern, and Cutcliffe hired him. Um, great guy. Uh, and Alcorn was just—they were one of the steadiest um, um, HBCUs these last couple seasons too. I really—I got to watch them a couple times, and it was pretty. They play entertaining ball, and they just kind of—they—they they played at a higher level than most of the teams in their conferences. So uh, Southern Miss returns a, a, a good portion of what they've got. You know, right. Nick Mullins is back. They went to a bowl. Um, Hobson could step in, and honestly, man, Hobson—the reason why Hobson's a great hire is everywhere else I'm looking. Um, Doc Holliday has a connection in, in, in Marshall, but I mean, you know, Brahms probably out the door at Western Kentucky stock still is, is going to stay at middle Tennessee. They just haven't become the dominant program. Hobson could stick around at Southern Miss for 10 years and build a, a powerful winner there. That may be the best shot they've got other pretty much everywhere else. I look on that map. Those are stair step jobs without argument. Yeah. And then, and, 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 and then also with an asterisk next to it, whatever UAB is. Well, well, right. And I will say we haven't mentioned Louisiana Tech at all. And they um, I mean, they have pretty good program support, I think. Um, and they're in Louisiana, which means you can always maybe start you know, getting a pretty good pipeline of recruits. And I think Holtz has made a lot of really good moves. Uh, the reason I haven't mentioned them yet and the reason the numbers don't like them very much next year is they lose. Uh, almost more than almost anybody in the country in yeah. terms of production. So they're, you know, I'm going to kind of, maybe they make something this year, but I'm just going to kind of ignore them for a year and then see where they are in 2017. I think Holtz is, is not going to jump anytime soon either. So no. that's going to help them. Um, tech is a good place to rehab. Uh, that's not a slight. I'm not being, I'm not being a dick there. I mean, no, I mean, look at Holtz, Manny Diaz. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff Driscoll. Yeah, I mean, in all seriousness, Tech was always such an aberration, being that team in the in the old whack. Um, right. I had friends that worked in their in their administrative offices, and I've talked to people in Ruston, and it's they've always kind of been by themselves, doing their own thing, building this this quietly respectable program that just really never gets a ton of attention. Um, but yeah. again, I no offense to them, I know that, and they've just put some money into facilities too. So, but I just don't see them. 
all of these look like B minus options in terms of creating a a branding initiative. I hate that word, but that's what Cusa needs. You know, they need something. The Sun Belt lucked out. You're right. They they got two really good FCS programs that filled in and are creating at least some interest when you talk about G5 football and the Cusa just doesn't have that. Yeah. It's, this has been up this has been uplifting, hasn't it? I, I'm trying yeah, and I'm trying to turn the corner on that. Um <laughs> I will say this. Uh, a couple things to look for for the future. If things are stable, by the way, there is no real reason. There's a lot of projection and some talk about realignment at the very top trickling down, but there's no real reason right now to see that happening. Um, if you do if you do go along a five-year plan, one thing I like that this week ODU uh, announced a series with Virginia. Nice. I know that they have series, and I'll stall for a second. I should have pulled this up before I brought it up. But they have a really interesting schedule coming up in terms of their non-conference. Virginia is, is not – I'm not going to say it's Texas or Louisiana or Florida, but there's a good amount of talent there. And, and if they – if given time, they could become more of a presence in the state than I think UVA or Tech would want them to be. Um, yeah, I thought I thought adding Charlotte was a reach because it was a brand new program and yes. it's going to take a little while. But o- ODU's won at the FCS level. Like you know, we were just bragging on Georgia Southern and Appalachian State. ODU's been really good of uh, you know in, within the last ten or fifteen years. And so yeah, I think there's enough talent there to support a pretty good. Uh, we shouldn't understate them. We should have probably mentioned them as a as a more high caliber program. Right. And, and when you start looking at the Mid Atlantic, you know a lot of that. Uh, it, it, it's it's wide open territory right now. New coaches at UVA, new coaches at Tech. Um, you know, Maryland goes into the into the Big Ten out of the ACC. That changes some of the alignment. North Carolina rises up. Duke has become consistent. So the potential for change between you know all the way from Southern Pennsylvania down to the Carolinas in terms of recruiting and and marketing and all that kind of stuff. I could see ODU establishing some sort of base there. Uh, by the way, and here's their schedule. Uh, nothing really remarkable. They're at NC State this year in 16, but they've done a really good job. So they have North Carolina at home in 17, and they go to Virginia Tech. The following year in 18, they get Virginia Tech at home. They're at Virginia and at East Carolina. The next year, they're at Virginia Tech, and then they have two more with Virginia in the coming years. They've also got... Um, Five, it looks like five or six more with Virginia Tech all the way into 2025. So just by virtue of being scheduled with the two big schools in that state, that's going to go a long way to help to help market Old Dominion. Also, the offense that they run is going to be appealing, especially on the Hampton side of the state. Um, if you're going to do this, they did it right, honestly. There's a lot of similarities I see between ODU and App and Georgia Southern, so... Uh, one team, one program, by the way, that might get a little hurt as well by a, a rise of ODU, East Carolina. Yeah, I'm really curious about East Carolina's future. They they did manage to get back, get up into the American, and that was, I think, huge for them. Um, but they're kind of the premier mid major of that Virginia North Carolina area, and if if even if ODU doesn't match them, if they start yeah plucking away a few more kids each year, or if Charlotte and nabs one or two away from East Carolina. Um, even if it doesn't help them a ton, it could hurt ECU quite a bit. I don't know. There's an ugly truth at play, and that's if you look at the G5s, uh, absent of the MAC, which almost makes perfect geographical sense. Yeah. No, seriously. They, like, like oh, you go back yeah. to the MAC, it's... Except for UMass. UMass yeah. being in there is yeah, weird. That's but. true. Um, like I said, almost perfect. 
the reality is this. You go from the AAC to the CUSA to the Sun Belt. They probably should dissolve those three and go on a hyper-regional basis. So in other words, having all the remainder Texas schools and maybe the Louisiana schools, they be one conference and shape us, you know, a, an Atlantic sort of, you know, mid-Atlantic conference and then, uh, you know, a true sort of Southern conference inside of the SEC's old footprint. That would probably make the most sense for everyone involved. Um, never going to happen. Totally stupid to bring it up. And to, like, I'm not trying to propose it, but if you were to take like three pieces of, uh, what were those things that we did? I'm looking for a noun, Bill. Uh, when when the, the projectors, you know, when you would put the clear plastic piece of paper up for like math assignments when we were before computers existed, you know. Yeah. If you were to do that with like on a map with these three conferences, you could see clusters. You could create three yeah. conferences that would make more sense for a lot of these schools involved. So you don't have necessarily like. FIU going to Utah that doesn't make right. a ton of sense for anybody involved and in what they're trying to build. So if you took, if you had FAU, FIU, Central Florida, and South Florida playing each other all the time, and then did I leave out? Of, is there, are there any Florida schools in the Sun Belt? No, uh, uh, so. no. You know that would that would probably be beneficial for everybody. You know Louisiana Tech playing ULM playing ULL. That makes sense for everybody. Texas State would probably want to play UTSA and Rice in North Texas every year, instead of you just, going to, you just made uh, Louisiana Tech and UCF fans very mad. But otherwise, right? Oh, no doubt. I mean, there's there's <laughs> idiots in Florida who think that UCF should be in the SEC, but that I mean, and you know that's fine. But no, um, you know, don't, if you stop putting on airs, I mean, Louisiana Tech refuses to play Louisiana Monroe. But if you stop putting on airs for a second and look at this objectively, yeah, it, you know, put UAB in with the Georgia schools and then add Middle Tennessee State and you have a structure there. Although I, I think Georgia Southern would rather be paired with the Florida schools for recruiting. It's not perfect. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it does make more sense. Like Arkansas State and Louisiana Tech – I think it's a three hour drive. They should probably yep. play each other every year, you know? <laughs> um, but again, to hell with idealism. This is college football. None of that stuff's going to happen. Although I do think this, you could probably broker a really strong television package if you had those 30 odd teams. Yeah. I mean, this, this kind of, um, I've been tossing around which way I'm going to take the, my, this year's, um, you know, promotion and relegation treatise that, that I, you know, will put out here in the next month or two. One of the ideas I've had is kind of what we discussed previously on this show, where you have basically tiers within one giant mid-major conference. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically you would end up with a situation where the top tier is just whoever, whoever are the best programs. But after that, you end up over the years coming up with something that is like you're saying, more geographically based. And if you had some sort of TV contract based around all of those conferences together, um, I mean, maybe per school that wouldn't work out very well, but you would at least have a lot more interesting geographical matchups, as you're saying. I'm starting to convince myself of this as, as we're talking because none of these schools have any loyalty to a conference title. No one has ever said we dream of winning the blank. Okay? No matter what they say, it's crap. I promise. Hmm. Um, does Houston have more money than uh, – Arkansas State, yes. So I'm not saying there's this is perfectly even. But if you create a system where you regionalize this stuff, the ultimate goal being you know competition towards that G5 slot in the playoff, or not in the playoff, but in the New York New Year's Six, hypothetically in the playoff, mm-hmm. um, 
hell, this would be hell for the Mountain West to deal with. Yeah. I mean, this is this is something you could create that's formidable. You know, this is the footprint of where the majority of high caliber prospects come from, where the television markets are strong for college football. Um, and again, no one is going to mourn and beat their. I mean, look, we border on treasonous. You know, uh, we think a civil war is going to break out because people talk about moving the kickoff time for the Rose Bowl. <laughs> who's gonna Who's gonna cry if we kill the Qs of the AAC and the Sun Belt and just restart it? I don't think would anyone care. Well, nobody's going to be screaming hundred year tradition. No. Exactly. <laughs> I really didn't mean. I, I did not mean to go down this down this road. But as I look at the, I think it's because you we're, we're starting weakest. It's and, and maybe maybe we'll convince ourselves out of this as we as we crawl up, Bill. But this is just it's it's really hard to look at these teams as a <clears throat> cohesive unit of anything. It is funny that we we have a sport now that is both hilariously, ridiculously married to random tradition um, at one level, and then at another level, almost no tradition whatsoever. At least at a like schools have their own traditions, but yeah, in terms of conferences and rivalries and everything else, they have changed so much over the last twenty years. yeah, and, and then, like you said, at the same time, we can't move the kickoff of the Rose Bowl. I mean, if I went to 30 or 40 80s and said you'd make more money as a, co- as a, as a large group on television revenue, which is your biggest concern, and then if you're Eastern Carolina, you don't have to go across the country, but every year you'll get games against Old Dominion, against Charlotte, against App. And then if you want to schedule up and go play North Carolina, Virginia Tech, you could do that. I would propose eight, you know, it would probably be have to be an eight game schedule because a lot of these schools are going to make their living, like Houston or like you know, uh, I'm trying to think of another potential, you know, Marshall a couple years ago undefeated when they were sniffing that. You need you you need to be able to go out and schedule four games just yeah. to make the money and get the exposure. So yeah, it, it's not impossible. This may be one of those things where I sketch out on a notebook sometime this summer <laughs> when I'm like you know, completely bored. Not impossible. I'll try it. 